We come here to worship. We come here to praise. We come here to be changed, to be transformed. And so, Father, have your way with us. Father, our prayer is that we will not leave here today the same as when we came in. That we will, even in some small measure, be changed. So we thank you, the author of all changes, for what you will do in us. We give you praise and thanks. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. All the clock resetting rule followers are here today. <laughs> um, I wanted to take a minute before I start to uh, just to talk a little bit about our 10th anniversary celebration. And uh, it's coming up on May the 7th. And I know I've said this before, but uh, it bears repeating. And this is a really a significant milestone in the life of really any church, uh, but I would say in this day and age, it's especially so. And I know I've quoted the statistics before that the, uh, the odds of a church making it for 10 years are about the same as a small business. They're not good. Um, it's uh, probably 10% to make it you know, through the 10-year mark. And so uh, I feel very blessed and very fortunate that we have done so, and we're going to celebrate that. So, um, you, you, it's on your, uh, if you have the, uh, the app on your phone, you can go to uh, one of the little buttons that says register. And there's a registration uh, key on there that says 10th anniversary celebration. And just to give you the details, and I'll send this out in email as well, but it will be Monday, May the 7th. Uh, it's going to be at the, uh, the Roslyn Retreat Center, which is up on River Road, right off of uh, Parham. Um, beautiful facility, um, gorgeous setting overlooking the James River, uh, and, and excellent uh, food as well. I will read you the menu, not the entire thing uh, with all of the goodies, but we'll be having um, a selection of uh, fruit and... Um, yeah, there will be dessert. Shrimp and grits, uh, cinnamon chipotle roasted pork tenderloin, green beans, baby tomatoes, spaghetti squash, bread, fruit cobbler, etc. Um, and it will be free. We are providing this. And so all we really ask is that you register so we know how many to plan for. Um, we're going to have some guest speakers as well, which I will talk about uh, later on. But um, please join us. We, we really want this to be a celebration um, and a thank you of sorts to all those who've kind of faithfully been a part of the church for so long. Uh, and so come and, and help us to celebrate what I feel like is truly a momentous event. All right, enough of the commercials. So today we're in part four of this journey called 40 Days of Prayer. And we've been talking about prayer, you know, for the last three weeks. And uh, today, what I want us to look at is how we can pray throughout the whole day, okay? When you, when you really get down and you start to look at all of the Apostle Paul's letters, um, it becomes pretty obvious that he prayed all the time. 
I mean, he says as much. In every letter, he generally starts out with a prayer. And then at some point later on in the letter, he'll say something like, I'm always praying, I'm continually praying, I'm constantly praying, I'm praying without ceasing, I never stop praying for you. He's always praying for uh, people, for his churches that he's responsible for, uh, etc. So the question that comes in a lot of people's minds is, well, well, how do you do that? You know, it sounds great to read this, that, that you pray without ceasing, but what does that really look like, you know, in real life? And I think there's maybe, there's probably more than two, but I could think of two ways that, that we could approach this. Um, first is that you just maintain a running conversation with God. First Thessalonians 5.17 is the verse that says, never stop praying. Okay, so... A running conversation it would be simply that you talk to God just like I'm talking to you now. It would be like you talk to anybody else. You just have this conversation that kind of goes on through the day. You don't ever end it. You don't have to say, in Jesus' name, amen. You just talk. Okay. If something comes up, you talk to God about it. Maybe a minute or two goes by, you talk about something else. In fact, I did this while we were worshiping this morning. I kind of was there and I was realizing how distant I felt to what was going on. And so I just said a quick apology. I said, Lord, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm tired. I'm a little out of sorts today. Please forgive me. Let this worship be acceptable to you. Done. Okay, so it's that kind of thing where we're just sort of talking to God throughout this. It's in a sense, it's a lot like breathing. You know, we don't really think about breathing. We just do it. And so prayer is very much like spiritual breathing. I think prayer to, is to our soul very much what breathing is to our bodies. And we want it to become as natural as breathing. Okay? So, you know, and right now, you probably have to think about it to pray. Right? It's, it's a conscious effort. But you can develop the habit to where it's not such a conscious effort, where you don't even really think about the fact that you're praying. And how do you do that? Well, think about the fact that whether you admit it or not, you probably all talk to yourselves <laughs> all during the day. Okay? You know that. You are your biggest fan. And so no matter what happens to you, whether you feel it, taste it, touch it, smell it, sense it, you talk to yourself about it. I like this, I don't like that. Anything that you experience in life, you kind of have this running conversation. So if you can look at it from that standpoint, it really isn't that hard to make this switch to where instead of talking to yourself, you just talk to God instead. And we've talked about this before. God is interested in talking to you about the things that you're interested in. Okay, so if you are find yourself interested in uh, a particular something outside that you're looking at, you can just say, thank you, Lord, this is really cool. I like, I like the way you did that. So it's just this natural process of, of keeping up this running conversation with God throughout the day. So that's one way to do it. Now, another way would be this idea of scheduling prayer times throughout the day. And the primary thing we're going to look at today is a very simple way to do this. Now, but this is not a new idea. Okay? This is not some brand new theological uh, concept. 
you look back in the Old Testament, the Jews did this. They had these fixed times of prayer. In fact, the book of Daniel tells us, he kneeled in prayer three times a day, morning, noon, and night. So this was standard. Uh, but then something else occurred in history that kind of cemented this idea in place. And uh, there was a point in time when, when Rome had sort of conquered the world. And one of the things they did in every city that they conquered was they built a forum. And part of this forum would be that they would put up a bell tower. And this bell in the tower would ring six or seven times a day. And it would start ringing at about six in the morning. And that was called prime or the first hour. And that was kind of the call for everybody to get up and go to work. And then about 9 o'clock, the bell would ring again. So it was three hours later, so it was known as the third hour. Um, so prime was 6, 9 o'clock's the third hour. And, and if, as you're reading through the New Testament, you see that they're using this sort of Roman method of timekeeping. When, when someone describes what time it is, they'll say in the third hour or the, the sixth hour or whatever. 12 o'clock was the sixth hour of the day. That was lunch break. So at noon, roughly, the bell would ring again. And then it would ring again at 3, which was the ninth hour. And then again at 6 in the evening, which meant that work was over for the day and everybody could go home. So because of the location of these, everybody could hear these bells throughout the entire city. And so this went on for hundreds of years. And... Uh, what happened? Well, the Jews and the Christians started to use these bells as markers for their time to pray. So they developed this habit that every time they would hear the bells, they would stop and pray. Now what's interesting is that over time, uh, the monks who inhabited the monasteries started to build their own bell towers so that they would have their own bells with which to, uh, to really signify a call to prayer time. And in the 1400s, the monks decided, you know, it's kind of silly that we have to have someone up in this tower to ring the bell uh, and to constantly watch to see what time it is. We should see about creating some sort of a mechanical instrument that would tell us what, you know, would ring a bell automatically. And as you may probably don't know, the Latin word for bell is clock. And now, and so really, clocks were invented to make time for prayer. It's the whole reason that we have clocks today. Now, we have, now, you know, we have watches and all kinds of things that tell time for us. But the clock specifically was invented for worship so that everyone know that it's time to, it's time to pray. And even in Psalm 119, verse 164, David says, seven times a day, I praise you. Now over the centuries, these times of prayer throughout the day became known as the liturgy of the hours. Also, it was called the divine office. Now, if you've ever looked into this, it can actually be very, very complicated. Um, there are books available if Praying the hours is something that you want to try. And I, if that is of interest to you, then I would recommend a series of books uh, by a wonderful theologian with a very funny name. Her name is Phyllis Tickle. <laughs> uh, 
Um, but she has taken this concept of the divine uh, hours or the, the, the holy office and, and sort of simplified it and made it a little bit more accessible to you and I. And there's a whole series of volumes. These are the three main ones, but there's one for Easter. There's one also for Christmas time. So there are a whole different uh, bunch of these books. So if praying the hours, and these are set, basically set written prayers, all right? But there is, however, another approach that I'd like to, to, to speak to you about. And it's based on the seven-point prayer model of the Lord's Prayer that we talked about several weeks ago. And I gave that to you, and there were seven points that basically aligned with uh, seven phrases of the Lord's Prayer. And just to refresh your memory, it was person, praise, purpose, provision, pardon, protection, and proclamation. All right, so we're going to go over each one of those. But what I want to show you is that how starting in the morning when you get up, and then at breakfast, and then at midday, then at noon, and then in the afternoon, and then in the evening, and then before you go to bed, you can use these seven points of the Lord's Prayer to just remember, oh, I, I should talk to God right now. And, you know, whether that's 30 seconds or a minute or five minutes, or however much time you, you choose at that point to put into it. So it's this very simple pattern that you can use. So let's get into that. So the first one would be, is get up, with personal gratitude, emphasis on the person. And so in our shorthand of the Lord's Prayer, this word person equates to the first line, our Father in heaven. And so when you get out of bed in the morning, before breakfast or before you do anything else, tell the Father what you're grateful for. The Bible also says this in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? And so, whether you realize it or not, you have a choice of what attitude you're going to have when you get up. Someone asked me one time if I woke up grumpy in the morning. I said, no, I always try to let her sleep. All right, this is completely made up. My wife is actually a very cheerful person in the morning. She's way more cheerful than I am, okay? So that was kind of a cheap shot, but you laughed, so it worked. <laughs> but the point is that you do have a choice. You can get up grumbling. You can get up griping. You can get up groaning. You can get up grousing. You can get up growling, you could get up grunting, or you can get up with gratitude. It's your choice. One thing I found out was that doctors have discovered that the single healthiest emotion known to man is gratitude. That being grateful actually makes you healthier um, mentally, emotionally, and physically. So grit. This idea of gratitude is actually good for you. So why not start every morning with gratitude and focus it on God and thank God for everything that he's done for you. Thank God for the fact that you woke up for another day. It would be a great place to start. All right, so you're out of bed. You've thanked God 
for all of this. So what do you do next? So now, you know, you're maybe getting ready to have breakfast. And so, have breakfast with praise. You praise God's name at breakfast. Now this doesn't have to be a really long prayer, but at this point, you're just praying the second phrase, second phrase of the Lord's Prayer, which is, may your name be kept holy, or in some translations, hallowed, which means holy. Hallowed be your name. So you're going to respect his name. You're going to honor his name. You're going to praise his name. You're going to adore his name. Now in biblical times, your name was more than just something cute that sounded nice. You know, today we pick names because we just like the way they sound. Now, we just went through this with our uh, daughter and son-in-law. You know, they just had the baby a couple weeks ago. And every time we would get together while Barbara was pregnant, you know, usually the subject of names would come up. Oh, you know, you picked any new ones yet? So we'd discuss all these, and of course we would always get, you know, go off on these really wild tangents, you know, like deciding that Duncan, which is their last name, was Scottish, so we would start suggesting names like Hamish and, you know, all these silly things that they weren't going to use anyway. But it was, it was fun to do that. And that's kind of how we pick names today. We just pick something we like or maybe something that's associated with our families. But back then you were given a name because they thought that it had some prophetic meaning to your character. Now it could be good or it could be bad. You know, for instance, the name Jacob means swindler or deceiver. And that's exactly what he turned out to be until God changed his name to Israel. Jabez means painful. So evidently his mom had some difficulties um, in labor. So your name sort of gets attached to you, and then you start to live up to your name. Well, if you look in Scripture, God has somewhere in the neighborhood of a hundred different names that are mentioned throughout Scripture. Well, why does anybody need a hundred names? Well, each name represents a characteristic of God. God is called Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. He's called Jehovah Rapha, which is the Lord heals you. He's called Emmanuel, which is God with us, and so on. So I would encourage you to do some study on your own. Search through the scriptures and find all or as many of the names of God as you can. And I'll give you a hint. Start with the Psalms. There's a lot of them in there. So find out their meaning and then make a list. And then go through your list. So maybe pick five of the names of God each day and you praise him and lift that up uh, for that part of his character. All right? So that's the second step. So now you're off to work or, or you start to do at home whatever you're going to do for the day. <clears throat> and a couple of hours go by and now it's time for the third step, which is to be purposeful at mid-morning. We said that God's purposes are represented by the phrase, may your kingdom come soon, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Purposes of God. So sometime in the middle of the morning, you just pause, take a deep breath, doesn't have to take long. You just say, all right, I'm going to stop right here. What is it that matters most? 
let me refocus on the big picture because I've probably gotten down in the weeds a little bit. I've lost my direction, and so I'm going to take just this little time here to sort of pause and pray and get reacclimated. And so we take a brief moment and we just realign ourselves with God's plans and God's purposes for our life. All you have to do is say something like, you know, God, I want to remind myself that there's something a whole lot bigger than just what I've got on my table or in front of me to take care of today. So let your purpose take a hold of my life and in the lives of all my friends and family. Let your purpose be carried out here exactly like it is in heaven, which is to say perfectly. Further on in Matthew uh, 6, verse 33, it says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. And so that's what we're doing. We're seeking first the kingdom, God's plans and purposes for our life. So remember to be purposeful at mid-morning. And then, you know, you wait a couple more hours, and uh, it's time for lunch. So what do we do at lunch? Well, we we focus on number four, which is to dine on God's provision at lunch. And provision is the word that we associated with the verse, give us today the food we need, or in some translations, to give us today our daily bread. And so lunchtime is a pretty good time for you to talk to God about all the things that you need. You started with gratitude. You then blessed his name. At mid-morning, you've now committed yourselves once again to his plans and his purpose. Now, you come to lunch. God said, well, what do you need? If you seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else is to be given to you. So what is it that you need? And see, we're told this to, we're told to pray this every day. It doesn't say, give us this month the food that we need doesn't say, give us this week the food that we need. God is really not interested in giving you today what you're going to need next year. Because if, you, if he did that, you wouldn't have to trust him. You wouldn't have to have any faith. You wouldn't have to depend on him at all. When God fed the children of Israel as they're coming out of Egypt and as they're going into the promised land, he gave them manna. How long did the manna last? One day, except what they picked up on Saturday also lasted Sunday since they were to do no work. But the point was they couldn't store it up. It literally was daily bread. And so they had to depend on God that he was going to provide tomorrow. So perhaps you just make a list of the things you need, and whether you're eating Chick-fil-A or PB&J, you can go through your list saying, well, you know, God, here's some stuff that I really need help with. And so lunch is a good time to do that. It's It's a really good time for this fourth part. All right, so then you go back to work, and it gets to be mid-afternoon, and... What do you want to do at mid-afternoon? We probably want to take a nap. But you push on through. Maybe you grab a cup of coffee. Maybe you grab a a five-hour energy 
or whatever else you might grab to kind of help get past that sluggish feeling that typically hits about three in the afternoon. But allow me to suggest an alternative. You know, forgiveness can be very energizing. Sin can feel like we're carrying a very heavy burden. And so when we seek and we receive forgiveness, that burden is lifted. And we feel lighter. We feel more energized. So instead of some kind of an artificial stimulant, energize yourself with a pardon each afternoon. The word associated with pardon um, is the next line from the Lord's Prayer, which says, Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. So when it's time to take a little prayer break in the afternoon, just say, you know, Father, is there anything in my life that I need to clean up? Is there any sin? Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24 says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So in seeking pardon, what do you do? Well, you simply own up to your own wrong reactions. You admit the places that you've sinned and fallen short. And while you're at it, you forgive anybody else who sinned against you because you certainly don't want to hold on to any grudges. They hurt you far more than they hurt anybody else. And so you don't want to be carried around by resentment. And see, the thing is that if you don't seek forgiveness and you don't choose to forgive, the end result is that you regret the past, worry about the future, and waste today. You crucify yourself on the cross of guilt and resentment. And frankly speaking, that's stupid. Okay? Jesus died on the cross so that you don't have to carry guilt. So remember this fifth prayer and energize yourself with a pardon every afternoon. All right, now it's a couple hours later. It's time to go home. So you get in your car and you start to head there. And you're hungry and you've got low blood sugar. And just another little factoid, did you know that studies have shown that a high, high percentage of all arguments happen one hour before dinner? Three words, low blood sugar, or these three, tired and cranky. So you come home, and everybody takes it out on everybody else. The husband yells at the wife, the wife yells at the kids, the kids kick the dog, the dog chases the cat, and the cat shreds the fabric on the couch. So there's this horrible chain reaction that's, that's going on. And so you need to be aware of that at the end of the day when you go home, that that's a prime time for an argument to occur. So if we know that, maybe this is a good opportunity to ask for a little help. And so the sixth thing that you pray at this time of day in the early evening is that you ask for protection from the darkness. And protection is the word that relates to the phrase, and don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. 
You see, even though we've just switched over to daylight saving time, which gives us more light in the evening, we still know that the darkness is coming. It's an inevitable part of life. And 1 Peter 5.8 says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. In other words, the darkness is out there and it's coming. So you pray for protection. Regarding evil in the world, Martin Luther said this, You can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. And I think it's probably true that for many people, their worst temptations actually come in the evening. And they come from two very demonic sources, the television and the refrigerator. (laughs) They are both of the devil. You know, staying on a diet is pretty manageable until you get home. But in the evening, hello, cookies! And for some, the television is the big temptation. So you're, you're watching stuff that you really shouldn't be watching. Or maybe it's the computer, and on the computer you're watching stuff that you really shouldn't be watching. But see, when you get tired, your resources get low. You're going to get in arguments, you're going to say things that you wouldn't otherwise say, you end up hurting people unintentionally, you, you're, you're weaker in the areas that you're likely to be tempted in. So for all of these and for whatever other temptations you may face, it's a good thing to pray before you walk back in the house. Father, I need your protection from the darkness. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. And so finally we come to the end of the day. And so at the, at the end of the day, We proclaim God's encouraging truth. And even though it was not part of Jesus' original teaching when he gave us the Lord's Prayer, the traditional version of the Lord's Prayer ends with one of the most encouraging truths around. And it says, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And so with this simple proclamation, you just can proclaim that the day is finished. And you lay your head on your pillow and you're ready to drift off to sleep. And so just as you began the day with praise and gratitude, it now ends in much the same way. We end the day by acknowledging God's supremacy in all things. And frankly, that ought to cause us all to sleep a little bit better. And so to end this today, I'd, really, I'd like to close <clears throat> with a story of someone that you've probably never heard of. And roughly 150 years ago, a young Boston woman married a printer. They got married and had three kids. But the Civil War ended their happiness because her husband was conscripted into the Northern Army and he died in the Battle of Antietam. And then after her husband died, her 12-year-old son drowned. And then her only daughter died. It was one calamity after another. But in her grief, Mary Ann Kidder began to write hymns. 
And if you've ever been in a traditional church, the chances are very likely that you have sung a Mary Ann Kidder hymn because she wrote about 180 of them. And one of her hymns was called, Did You Think to Pray? And we'll end with this. When you left your room this morning, did you think to pray? In the name of Christ our Savior, did you ask for loving favor as a shield today? When you met with great temptation, did you think to pray? By his dying love and merit, did you claim the Holy Spirit as your guide today? When your heart was filled with anger, did you think to pray? Did you plead for grace, my brother, that you might forgive another who had crossed your way? When strong trials came upon you, did you think to pray? As your heart was filled with sorrow, Did the love of Christ you borrow at the gates today? Oh, how praying rests the weary. Prayer will change your night today. So when life seems dark and dreary, don't forget to pray. Amen. I don't know if um, any of you had a chance to watch the the Billy Graham special that was on last Sunday night. It was really, really good. And one of the things that so impressed me and that, that I really took away from that special was the consistency of his message throughout the ages. From the time he was a young, right out of school preacher until his last crusade, which was in 2007. I guess he would have been, what, late 80s at that point? It would have been 11 years ago, so he would have been 88, I guess. His message never changed. His message was, God loves you. God has a wonderful plan for your life. And all that he asks for you to do is to accept the sacrifice that Jesus made for you when he died on a cross. And then he would ask, have you made that decision? If not, then you can do it right now. And so in honor of Billy Graham, I would say to you, God loves you. He has a wonderful plan for your life. All he asks is that you accept the sacrifice that Jesus made for you when he died on a cross. Have you made that decision? And if not, you can do so right now.